Great to be with you guys. You know, um, we live in Kansas City now. I mean, you, you know that. Uh, I'm, we're Hungarians, so we, we're from Hungary. And six years ago, we moved to Kansas City. And um, the um, we have not we did not know much about American sports, but uh, once we moved to Kansas City, <laughs> Chiefs. Come on, I mean. Patrick Mahomes, and and now we're so glad that we put Taylor Swift on the map <laughs> because of Travis Kelsey. You know, everybody talks about them in Kansas City. The whole the whole city is crazy. So now they sell gears with eighty seven plus thirteen equals a hundred because eighty seven is. Travis number and 13 is obviously hers. So that's, that's just a big phenomenon. I, but <coughs> that's, uh, that's all what I know about American sports. Yeah. I, I know <laughs> nothing about what? That's all you need. Well, yeah, I, I know nothing about baseball. I mean, <laughs> someone attempted, tried to take me to a baseball game here in Memphis a couple of years ago, but I just couldn't understand why, you know, Every 10 minutes, some people stand up, then run around some pillows, <laughs> then, then spit, and then sit down. Um, that, that, was, that was kind of the concept I'm still trying to, to understand, but, but no success. So at, at the middle of the game, I just stood up and left. Uh, and, but <clears throat> so, you know, this, this passage that we read is, is about perseverance. And I want to talk about endurance and perseverance, uh, today. Uh, and why do we, why do we need to talk about that? Because, you know, you know the story of, I mean, you all know the story of Nehemiah, right? When, when he received the news in Nehemiah 1, and the, chapter 1, that the walls of Jerusalem are broken and the gates are burning. And, uh, you know, for 141 years, the gates were burning and the walls were broken. And no one really cared about that. No one cared that, that Jerusalem was without any walls. And that one sentence that Nehemiah heard has completely changed his life. Just one sentence. And changed the course uh, uh, of history as well. So he saw that every pillar that protected that society, that defined the society, that created opportunity to flourish and be and and have the same values, that was just destroyed. So, and you know, we we grew up under communism. Uh, you know that. And um, when we came here, we were surprised to see and continue to be surprised to see how fast what's happening in the U.S. is just destroying everything that defines and identifies us. So every single thing in our identity is under attack in this nation. Um, I, this week I was talking to someone and I said, hey, I mean, I remember six years ago you told us that this is going to happen and... Uh, uh, well, like, I, we did not believe it, and it's so fast it's happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, our religious identity 
is under attack, or national identities under attack, or sexual norms are under attack, or gender identity is under attack. Uh, we don't even know what a man and a woman anymore. We attack uh, masculinity just as we attack femininity. We absolutely hate women in this nation. We hate yeah. women. We sexualize women. We objectify women. We we uh, we let men compete with women in sports and take away all their opportunities in the name of femininity. But we hate men as well. You know, we talk about constantly talk about toxic masculinity, degrading. Just you know, all they take our family definition is under attack. Our past and history is under attack, and with eight, with, without a proper knowledge of the past, you cannot have a prosperous future. There are a lot of passages about that. I mean, uh, in Judges 2, verse 10, we read that, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord and the work he had done. So their whole future was destroyed because they did not know what happened in the past. Our value for life and when it begins is under attack. Our basic institutions are under attack. Our education system is under attack. As our kids are brainwashed and indoctrinated, so much so that after the Hamas attack, kids are marching on the street, say glory to the murderers. In New York, I just saw a video, thousands of people chanting, Hail Hitler. I mean, it, it's it's horrific, unimaginable that this happened. Reasons and rationality is under attack, as truth is determined and defined by feelings of the individuals. Our physical safety is under attack by the increased crime in this nation. The U.S. is the second most dangerous country to live in by crime by the violent crime that happens in this country. There are, there are countries uh, in Europe that, that give travel warning to the United States. There are cities. There are cities in the U.S. There are absolute wastelands. Our shared, our unity is under attack as we are forcefully divided into classes and by race, by economic resources, by gender. Our shared ethos, our morale is under attack. Every year, you, I've told us before, 2.5 million people leave the church. 4,000 churches closes in the U.S. every year. 168 million Americans say they don't believe in God. They don't uh, believe in the Bible. We have more non-Christians now living within the border of the United States than the whole population of Russia. Every fourth person in the U.S. now is foreign-born or their parents are foreign-born. Uh, and it's not just the numbers, but what's, but the stories behind the numbers. You know, uh, in the youngest generation, in the past 10 years, suicide, teenage suicide, grew 
teenage depression grew 189%. Gender dysphoria in the past seven years grew 666 times. Gender surgery, 70% of gender surgery happens in teenagers. And that grew 4,400 times. So we have a major problem. How are we going to live as Rome burns? The gates are burning. The walls are destroyed. How can we live facing the arena as the first Christians did and persevered? Because this is going to be a different culture. We lost the culture. The culture used to be kind of friendly. That, that was our hope. But it's not anymore. There's a book <coughs> written by Rod Dreher. It's called The Benedict Option. In that he writes, <clears throat> The spiritual crisis overtaking the West is the most serious since the fall of the Roman Empire. The light of Christianity is flickering out all over the West. The breakdown of the natural family, the loss of traditional moral values, and the fragmenting of communities. We were troubled by these developments, but believed they were reversible and did not reflect anything fundamentally wrong with our approach to faith. The sense one had was, there is nothing here that cannot be fixed by continuing to do what Christians have been doing for decades. Wrong. If the, dem- if the demographic trends continue, our churches will soon be empty. So why we were doing church, why we had our podcasts and all that, this is what happened. And when the walls of a building are burning, it's not enough just to rearrange the furnitures. And a lot of things what we do. So what happened with Nehemiah when he heard that? That one sentence changed his life. He started to live differently. He repented. He prayed. He took ownership over the nation's sins. So what, what makes us weep and pray and pound the table so much that we, we are going to change? So <clears throat> times are coming and they are here when we need a lot of perseverance, endurance. And this story that we just read from, from Joshua, it's a phenomenal story of perseverance. You know, we, we are living in an age, in a culture where the word endurance is kind of unknown. People don't want to talk about it. you need to persevere, you need to endure, you need to uh, just man up. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, we live, because we live in a prosperity culture. And we embrace that. We, we want what we want when we want it. And uh, we embrace that even in our Christian Christian culture, Maybe not, not in, in the, in the financial aspect, but we have this expectation 
in a prosperity in a different way. Like we want to be known and recognized. We want to be thanked and appreciated. We expect to be positioned and to be honored. We expect to see certain results of our work. You know, we, we deserve this. We, we work for the Lord. So, you know, the church should do this and that for me. Uh, if it's not in a certain way, then I don't come back. You know, we, we embrace the, the kind of Christianity where, where, you know, Christianity means that I, I go, I'm a Christian if I go to church two or four, three times out of four, uh, I give 5% of my income and I volunteer when I'm asked and maybe I go to a mission trip, you know, once in every five years. That's a Christian. But that's not a Christian. You know, a, a believer, a disciple of Jesus surrenders everything. Every single thing. So let's look at, look at Caleb quickly. Just a couple of aspects. I mean, it's just fascinating to me that at 85, you know, at 85 years old, he just says, I, I want a new battlefield. Okay, just like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to live 85. Who knows? The Lord knows. But, but I will, you know, I want to have this kind of faith. So let's, <clears throat> endurance, let's see. Endurance is future and promised focus. So if, if you, you know, if you climb a hill, you look up. You don't look down. You look up to the promise that you are going to get up there. And that's what, that's what Caleb was doing. Now, there's a little hidden thing in the text. It says that Caleb was a Kenazite. And it, it's repeated multiple times. Caleb was a Kenazite. Who were the Kenazites? Because they were not Jews. Okay? We don't know much about them, but we know the, the following. Kenazites were people related to Kenaz. Kenaz was the grandson of Esau. So they were an Edomite clan originating from Eliphaz, the eldest son of Esau. Kenaz was the youngest son of Eliphaz. And Jephunneh, the father of Caleb, was a Kenazite. So during the settlement period, they began to be, they began to be absorbed into the tribe of Judah. So this is fascinating. He does not have the right pedigree. He, he's not coming from the right bloodline. Okay? He should, he could be viewed that, hey, you're an outsider. What are you doing here? Yet he is one of the two, you know, with Joshua who goes in, to to uh, spy the land and comes back with faith and and here he's one of the guy who is actually conquering the land. If you if you read further the story, you'll you'll see that a lot of the tribes were not conquering the land, but he conquered all of it. Although he had the wrong past, the wrong background, so. What we can learn from this is uh, that he was not stuck in his past. 
His past did not determine his future. Uh, there, you know, I see so many people who are stuck in the past. They are swallowed by the swamp of their past reality. Their pain, their hurt, they have bitterness, uh, they have unforgiveness that pulls them back. Uh, probably you've heard my story years ago uh, that I shared about my past, the abusiveness of my father, what happened during communism, all the losses that our family went through, persecutions, fascism, communism. There's nothing that I can do to change that past. There's nothing. I cannot go back to have a different father. I cannot go back to have a different country or a different childhood, uh, a different political system. The, the injustice, the trauma, the circumstances in the past are unchangeable. The only thing, only question is, what do we do about them? Resentment and bitterness over the unchangeable past is the enemy of the future. Just think about the story of Abel and Cain. Cain, Cain, how do you say in English? Cain? Cain. You know, uh, Cain was envious because God was pleased by the sacrifices of, of Abel, his brother. Okay, he did not understand why is this, this is not fair to me that God receives my brother's sacrifice and not mine. So he became resentful, bitter about that. And I think he wanted to kill God because he was really upset with God that God why do you take that his and not mine? But he couldn't kill, kill God, so he killed his brother. But God, God warned him and, and, and said that, hey, I mean, sin is crouching at the door, conquer it. So resentment and bitterness over the past, even if you do not understand why that happened, is sin. Resentment and bitterness is going to kill your future. Just as it killed Abel, and just as it killed Cain's own future, because God marked him. He said, you were resentful over something you have not understood, why this happened. Okay, I'm going to mark you. That's gonna, you're gonna carry that forever. If you want to endure what's coming in your life, then leave behind the past. Be free from your past. When Edina's, my, my wife's, Edina's grandfather, um, under communism, was kicked out from being a pastor uh, and lost his livelihood because he shared Christ, he baptized people, he, he gave Russian Bibles to Russian soldiers, and he was kicked out because of that, and he had to work as unskilled worker in a, in a, in a factory, and the whole family said, this is an injustice, and we need to do something about that. He said that, you know, very meekly, very calmly, he said that, entrust this to him who judges justly. You know, First Peter 
Let the pain of the past rest in the hands of the one who judges justly. One day, he'll judge. One day, he'll wipe away all the tears. The next thing we see in Caleb's, he focused on the promise of God. So look up, don't look down. If you climb a hill, if you look down, you'll fall down. If you look in the past, you'll get dizzy and you'll, you'll fall down. So if we want to endure, we need to hold on to the promises of God just as he did. He's, I mean, Caleb says, Moses, Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be it. An inheritance for you and your children forever. So he saw, he, he embraced the promise of God as reality and he stood on it. He said, because of that, we need to do what we need to do. We need to embrace the battle. And, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, that we do not lose heart. This momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. So let's hold on to this eternal weight of glory. That it's promised to us. So we could uh, persevere. So, so many, so many people I saw gave up their calling. And walked with God. Because their expectations were not met. They thought life is going to be easier. God is going to give them something easier life and they walk away because they were disappointed in God and finally endurance never stops fighting always seeks a new hill to climb a new hill you know it's a Caleb at age 85 Caleb after his whole life he fought I mean they left Egypt there was a battle, then going through, you know, the Red Sea, then, uh, you know, going and spying the people, people rebelled. I mean, there was constant problems and fight and hurt and difficulty and losses. And at, eight, at age 85, he said, he, he goes to, to Joshua and, and he said, give me the hill country. Mm. Now, in, in our country, there are a lot of castles. You know, old castles. All of the castles are built on the hill. Why? Because it's easy to protect. When you are on the hill, you attack down. When those who want to take, a, take the hill, they have the hardest thing because they need to attack up. So, and that's what Caleb volunteers for. I want the hardest battlefield. The most difficult. I Give me what's What's hard, getting the hill, the hill country, Hebron, at 85. You know, he should retire. Hey, old man, I mean, that's, that battlefield is too, too hard for you. But no, I'm, I'm still strong until I can, I will fight. I will embrace the battle. What can you expect in a battle? Pain, her, Struggle, losses, betrayal, and death. A lot of death. 
You will lose finances. You will lose friends. You will lose relatives. You will lose significant moments. You will lose yourself. The losses and hurt are very real and countless in the battlefield. If you are fighting for the Lord. My my memory goes to a lot of places when I think about that. But Jesus made it very clear that death's going to be the environment we are going to be a part of. He said this, John 16 and 15, there are a lot of places. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Or, he says that, because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, there the world hates you. Then he says, well, they will persecute you. And then he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. So he says, the, the, the battlefield we are entering into, the culture we are entering into, hates you, kills you, persecutes you, alienates you. Yet we think the culture just pamper us and just love us and, and be supportive for us. No, the culture is going to hate you. So that's what we're, we're walking into. Paul affirms that in 2 Corinthians 4.11. He lists what we should expect. You know, he says that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For he who live are always being given over to death. For Jesus' sake. So he said, persecution and death and affliction and being struck down, and being betrayed, that's the norm of Christian walk. So, be ready. When Jesus called us, the call came with two demand. Die and deny. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross. Voluntarily. You know, that. be ready to die. And deny yourself. Yet we think so many times that, well, the Christian life is just going to be a prosperous, fun, happy march. But Jesus says, yeah, I'll be with you. I love you. I overcame the world. But it's still death. And it's still denial. So, because we're walking into a deadly battlefield, Jesus makes it clear what we need to do when we follow him. Die to be treated fairly. Die to be known and respected. Die to be thanked and appreciated. Die to your voice to be heard. Die to your die for your idea to be the one that need to dominate everything. Die to well-deserved positions. Die to your rights. Die to your desire just to do what you want to do. Die to your pride. 
die to your disappointments? Why? Because the only one who had the rights for everything, the only innocent, gave up all his rights and died. So, let me conclude and close with a story, a personal story. When I think about death, uh, my memory goes to a lot of places. You know, people who betrayed us, friends that we invested a decade into and just lied about a lot of things and I find out but I want to tell you a more recent story that marked us and continues continue to mark us daily nine years ago after two years long God seeking prayerful and fasting process we knew God was calling us to the U.S. we had a very deliberate and very intense process to seek and discover the the will of God we went through major evaluations um, with outside help and uh, from our mission group, from inside, all kinds of uh, help to understand who we are, what our gift is, what our calling is. If, and um, at the end of it, it became clear, you know, prayer, fasting, all of that that God is calling us to serve in the U.S., which is a very unusual moment for us. You know, living all of our lives in Hungary, why would we come to the U.S.? We shared this whole process with our leadership team that, that we led. Uh, we shared that with our leaders. We shared it with pastors, friends, supporters. We shared it with family members. We wrote a whole booklet about this process, we thought it was so unusual what God wants us to do that we need to make sure our friends, colleagues, family leaders, partners understand it. Regardless of how open and honest and detailed we were about the process and regardless how we have proven ourselves to be faithful in very difficult leadership challenges for decades, and regardless of how successful, how successful and faithful our ministry past had been, pastors, friends, colleagues turned against us. We've lost a huge percentage of our relationships. Uh, we, uh, you know, we invested decades, three and a half decades of our lives, three decades of our lives. Uh, into relationships, and um, a lot of them just couldn't accept the reality that God is calling us. Uh, there were pastors calling me from the U.S. and saying that, um, what do you think, uh, who you are to come to America and serve here? Uh, we don't need you here. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. Another pastor called, said that, what in the world could you do here? Uh, immediately, we lost a lot of uh, our support. Many people questioned our decision and alienated us. Uh, what were I thinking at age 50? From going to be well-known and respected and successful in a country... And going to a country where nobody knows us. 
where we were strangers and aliens. A, a staff leader suggested that we should leave the ministry. Another leader told me that uh, we're wasting our life to, uh, by coming here. Besides uh, that, we faced you know, financial crisis. We had to give up our Hungarian retirement plan because we were not qualified for that if we leave the country. Why would we want to do that at age 50? Um, then we faced a family crisis. My mother's declining health. We moved into a nursing home at that time. My wife's, uh, Adina's uh, parents aging. My sister told my mom that she will never forgive me for moving away. Uh, then missing the opportunity to say goodbye to my mom um, before she died. Our middle son was deeply depressed because he did not want to come here. Uh, and um, our youngest, he was just 15 and starting high school, hardly spoke English. Can we put him through this? Can we alter his education and sacrifice his future by putting him into an environment where he does not speak English because, well, uh, the language well, because the two educational system is not compatible with each other? Um, they're not going to have the same high school experience that we had. They're not going to have those that um, very important and significant memories. Um, we knew that moving here would end our family as we knew it. The Sunday lunches, the birthday celebrations, the vacations together, and there are many, many other losses. We had to die to a successful ministry past, to our friends, to our family, to our security, to our culture, to be, to be known, to be with friends and family, knowing that we will never have moments and opportunities other Hungarian families had. We had to die to be understood for our decision. Our leadership called it wasteful. A former disciple this summer told us that we messed up our family and our life by coming here. And was it worth it, he asked. We just did not understand why we were attacked for going on foreign mission when others are appreciated for it. Uh, why we were attacked for pouring out our life for the cause of Christ. Why were our sacrifices belittled, belittled and called it wasteful? Why didn't an American pastor talk to some friends and supporters telling them how stupid it is for us to come here? But we did not come to America because America needs us. We came to America because God called us. There are human needs everywhere. But we don't follow human needs. We follow God's call. You know, Oswald Chambers says that as a missionary is one sent by Jesus Christ as he was sent by God. The, the great dominant note is not the needs of man, but the command of Jesus. The source of, ins of our inspiration in work for God is behind, not before the tendency today is to put the inspiration ahead, to sweep everything in front of us and bring it all out to our conception of success. In the New Testament, the inspiration is put behind us, the Lord Jesus. So we moved to a completely unknown legal, financial, medical, educational system. We had to learn the culture, all that. 
but um, we knew that that's a whole other story. I'm not going to go into it. But um, when we moved, we knew that we would never really have a, a real home again. Because this country will not be our home. And the country that we left, we can't resurrect that either. People moved on with their lives. Our past impact is fading away. In our culture, once you leave, you will always be viewed as an outsider. So we need to, we needed to carry, or we need to, we needed to learn to carry our roots in our shoes. Amen. And that's what we all need to do. To die to our roots. Because we are aliens. We're strangers in this world. So, let me conclude with something that, that, um, that I did. This is just two minutes. Uh, when, you know, when we went through this process, I was at a really dark place. Because I was really doubting if I could do this and follow God through that. Can I endure through that? All the... All these issues and moving to a new culture with all of that. And um, there's one thing that um, I learned in dark places. You just keep talking to God. Mm, You know, when you understand, when you don't understand things, you just keep talking to him. Just and until, as you read in, in the story of Job, until Job talked to God, God kept talking to him. You know, he never never told him why this whole thing happened to him. But uh, although he did not offer his his answers, he offered his presence, which is much better than his answers. So uh, in dark places, uh, I do typically a thing. It's um, I t- try to take a revenge on those dark moments by writing a poem. Uh, I, that just a very, um, it, it's a melancholy moment for me when I write a, write a poem. So I wrote a poem at that moment and I, and I titled Funeral. And uh, uh, I'll just read that and that's going to be our conclusion. So the poem titled Funeral. Murdered, said the chaplain died a violent death as he died to many things he could become or he could have. Each decisions made by faith filled the coffin day by day, killed the fame, the respect and the name, murdered the fear, the self-pity and the blame, slaughtered positions, influence and success, buried relationships, passion and wealth. Murdered, said the chaplain, slowly died as each day he killed something he liked. The lonely job of killing made him think if he is willing to continue on the path with the cross on his back. But looking up to Calvary, watching the lonely face of the suffering, gave him strength to bend himself to the cross he gladly grabbed. Murdered, said the chaplain, it was worth it. 
Because the one on that cross deserves it. Through everything in the coffin, fame, name, influence, home, country, success, friendships, relationships and wealth, close the coffin, put dirt on it. Trust the one who can resurrect to bring life to the dead. It's a funeral, finished Finished the chaplain. The time to celebrate, remember and farewell. And suddenly the fiery pain of grief pervade as I see on the coffin written my name. If we want to accomplish the mission and endure, we need to die a million deaths day in and day out. Amen.